Welcome to the Cross Lane Podcast, a community committed to bringing people to Jesus. We are launching this series today called A God Who Listens, and it's, it's all in conjunction with our 40 days of, of prayer that goes along with our Celebrate 40 campaign, where stuff's happening all year long. But 40 days of prayer starts tomorrow, so if you have the app on your phone, and I'm going to say that several times today, I want you to put the app on your phone. If you have the app on your phone, if you are signed up for our uh, email update, every Tuesday I send out an update uh, to the congregation, you can get, sign up for that at our website, clcchurch.com. Or if you're friends with us on Facebook, if you're one of those three things, then you will get a notification about the 40 days of prayer. And what I've done is I've gone out and I've written a thing for every day. So every day you're gonna get this thing that I've written up and it's, it's, uh, it's, there's a scripture there and there's a little thing to kind of center your mind on what we're talking about for the day. And then not every day do I write out a prayer for you, but there are some days I've written prayers for you. Um, and I want to encourage you to go beyond what I've written and pray your own prayers as well. But there's just, it won't take you long. I mean, you could do this in five minutes, okay? This is not some long drawn out thing, but it's just a, it's a chance for you every day. And I would encourage you to start your day. Just start your day, check your phone, go to the app, bring it up, there's my no, no, notification, I'm going to open that up, and I'm just going to follow along there with that and, and engage with that every day. Our goal for that is 200 people. Now that's asking a lot. For the, a church our size to ask that many people to be involved in it, that's really asking a lot. But I think that we can do that. I'm convinced that if we do do that, it's going to change us. And so today's message is kind of the, the beginning of all that and the kickoff and, and I think, I really think if you get what I'm, as my good friend Michael says, if you can catch what I'm pitching today, we're going to be in good shape. So I want to start by saying this. It, uh, this comes out of Ephesians chapter 6, verse 18. Pray in the Spirit in every situation. Most people think about prayers uh, situationally. Like, you know, they think, well, if I go to church, that's a place where I pray. Maybe in my quiet time. That's where I pray. And, and here's a question I would ask you to consider this morning. Has my quiet time gotten way too quiet? Right? Like, when you go into your quiet time, does somebody have to come wake you up? That's how quiet your quiet time got. Um, you know, you settle in to spend 30 minutes with God, and the next thing you know, you're, you're snoozing. And somebody's like, are you, you know, they're just checking to make sure you're still alive. Um, but we often don't think about that I can pray at work. Or I can pray while I'm getting ready to go to work. I can pray in the shower. I can pray in the car. I, I can pray while I'm waiting on my kids for, to come out of the store or whatever. I, I think some of us have come to the conclusion that praying is something where you have to do it for long stints at a time. You know, that, that I can't, you know, Brett, it would be disrespectful for me to just offer some little piddly prayer to God or just some, some little short prayer. No, that, you know, some people think, no, it's got to be, I got to, I got to, or that they've got to pray with all these flowery words, or they've got to figure out the right combination. You know, like God's getting to God is, you've got to order your words right, and then God hears. No, it's none of that. It's none of that. The, the truth is, you can pray in every situation. Before I pick up the phone and answer that voicemail, pray first. We need to develop a mentality where we pray first. Okay? Where I, I would hope that over the next four weeks that that's one of the things that you just hear over and over. Pray first. Pray first. Don't, don't wait till the end before, you know, like, oh God, help me. No, pray first. Before we go to school, 
Pray first. Before we go to work tomorrow, before we send the email, pray first. Before you respond to that snarky Facebook thing, pray first, <laughs> okay? Just pray first. Ephesians 6, 18, pray in the Spirit in every situation. Use every kind of prayer and request there is. You might not know it, but there are all different kinds of prayers. Uh, this series is designed to look at the different kinds of prayers, different ways people pray, different patterns. What I'm going to show you today is a pattern for praying. When Jesus taught, he taught a pattern of prayer. The disciples came and said, Lord, teach us how to pray. And, and the Lord said, okay, I'm going to teach you. Use this as a model to pray. It was just one of many ways that you can do that. There are all kinds of prayer. Prayer is a discipline. Right? Prayer is a discipline. It, it, it requires some intentionality. It's a discipline for me. I suspect it's a bit of a discipline for most of you. And, and the praying part, like how to pray, that's never been real hard for me. I, I, you know, there's things in life that are hard for me. That there's, I'm, for my age, I don't think I'm near smart enough for my age. Right? Like I just wish I was smarter and wiser. And there's certain things that you guys understand. And I'm like, I, don't, I just don't understand that. Um, don't even get me started on math, all right? Don't even get me started. But, but when it comes to praying, I've been praying since I was a little boy. I mean, a really little boy. I, I've always kind of, spiritual things, I've always kind of been ahead of the curve instead of behind it, and I always kind of got that kind of stuff. But I realize that that's not the case for everybody. For some people, praying wigs them out. Like, they, they, they feel like they don't know how, and again, like there's some combination, and I, I can't unlock God, and... and <clears throat> So I know how it is for some of you. Like, I, I know, have you ever been put in one of those situations where they're going to put you in a circle and you're going to do a prayer circle? Have you ever been put in that? Where you're going to hold hands, which freaks some of you out. Like, I'm, I'm now, I'm holding, now they're holding hands. And now the leader says, okay, we're going to pray. I'm going to pray. And I'm going to squeeze the hand of the person next to me. And then they're going to pray. And you figure out pretty quick that eventually that's going to come to you. And you're like, oh, no. And sure enough, she says, okay, so I'm going to pray. And they bow, and you don't even have a chance to snap hands and get out of the circle. I mean, you're trapped. You're in the prayer circle now. And now it's making its way around to you. And this one prays, and you're over there just sweating bullets. Your palms are getting sweaty, and you can't breathe. And you're trying to, you're trying to think about what you're going to pray for. Like, oh, God, dear God, please give me something to pray for. And you think you've got it. And then the next thing you know, this rascal right here breaks forth into some unbelievable prayer and prays for about 10 minutes, steals your material, breaks into, then sings my soul. You know, it's like just this, this unbelievable, like, oh my goodness, and now it's working. It's, and the circle is closing in on you, right? Like you, every time they squeeze you, you're like, oh. And then it comes to you, and the, you think you've got it figured out again, and the guy right next to you steals your material, and you're like, I've got nothing. So you just panic, and you just squeeze, squeeze, and that sucker just keeps right on going around, right? That's, I understand that. I understand that, that when you get put in situations like that, it can, it can wig some of you out, and that's not a pleasant thing. Um, I know it's, it's, it's hard. Um, the, the other thing is... <laughs> There's, there's, and there's always one person that's really good at it, and you're like, man, I wish I could pray like that dude. I mean, I, I don't, my prayers don't sound, sound like that. Um, or you think to yourself, man, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna be spiritual. I'm gonna be spiritual because spiritual people pray for an hour. 
So I'm going to pray for an hour. And then you're like, God, what do I pray for for an hour? I know what I'll do. I'll just take the globe. I'll just take the globe. I'll start in Greenland. God, surely somebody in Greenland needs Jesus. And I'm just going <laughs> to, you know, and I'm going to work my way. Down. I'm going to go over to Canada, pray for all of Canada, all two people that are in Canada. I'm going to pray for them. You know, I got all those few people and all that great bunch of land. And then I'm going to start in each state, Minnesota, Lord, I'm going to pray. And, you know, surely by the end of an hour, I will have covered all 50 states. And it's just intimidating. It's intimidating to think about how do I do this and, and what does, how do I honor God? So hopefully in this series, we're going to debunk some of the myths. And, and I'm going to take, try to take some of the uncomfortable part of praying out of it. And here's what I think you might discover in this series. You might discover a new way to pray. You might discover that I'm going to give you something this morning. I hope you take notes. And, and if, it, if it catches on with you, you're going to go, you know what? I could do that. I could sit down with this piece of paper and work through a prayer time. And you may discover that this opens up your prayer life and brings it to life and breathes a new life into it. That's my, been my prayer all week. So more than likely, most of us have fallen into a routine. Like the problem with routines is routines are good in that if you get good at a routine, you don't forget something. But routine can also put you to sleep. Routine can also kind of lull you into this place where you, you, you kind of go to sleep on things. And I, I got an email from someone that's wanting to talk to me, and, and her email was basically, Brett, I just feel like my prayers are the same. I've been, I feel like I've been praying the same things for years and years and years. And, and it's, there's got to be more to it than that. So I, I understand. So in this series, I just I want to give you some ideas, some, some patterns, some styles to consider as we pray. And today, I want to show you a, a really interesting thing, but it's kind of at the deep end of the pool. Okay, um, not too deep. You're smart people. You can handle this. But, but this is, um, you know, in the past, I've given you simple prayer patterns like ACTS, like the ACTS method of prayer, uh, an acrostic, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. Or, you know, there's another one that's P-R-A-Y, praise, repent, adore, and yield. You know, I've given you those. This one's going to be a little deeper it's, uh, it's, it's, a, it's a little different kind of way to pray, but I think it will be helpful for you to see it today. That's why I'm bringing it to you. And so let's just jump into it. So when Moses was going to lead the children out of Egypt, remember that? You remember on Sunday night, Charlton Heston, the Ten Commandments, you know, Moses, he's going to lead the children. He's going to go to Pharaoh, let my people go. You remember all that? Did nobody else watch Charlton Heston and the Ten Commandments? You know where I'm at, right? Yeah, yeah. So, so he's going to lead them out into, from Egypt, and he's going to go to the promised land. And in actuality, that should have taken about, you know, a few weeks. But it took a lot longer than that because God is going to have them wander in the, on the Sinai Peninsula out in the desert for quite some time. He's trying to accomplish something in his people. And, and so, um, you know, they've, they've got, there's, they're, they're mobile, they're mobile for 40 years, and, and uh, God dwelt in buildings in the Old Testament. Today in the New Testament, God doesn't dwell in buildings. God dwells in you and me. People sometimes refer to this room as a sanctuary. And, I mean, if you do that, I'm not going to yell at you, but I'm going to discourage it because this is not a sanctuary. A sanctuary is where God lives, and God doesn't live here. When I leave, when we all leave and turn out the lights and go home, God goes away. God's not here. God is in us. So we are the sanctuary, okay? Don't refer to a building as a sanctuary. We are the sanctuary. Our souls, our hearts is where God lives. 
And so back then, God wrote his laws on tablets, and he lived in buildings. But now, in the New Testament, we come to the New Testament, and God has written his law on our heart, and he lives inside of us. That's the difference. And so just let me tell you, that's, that's great news, that we have God living with us. So they're going to build, when they get to the promised land, when they finally get where they want to go, they're going to build a temple. It's going to be a permanent structure, and that's where God is going to live. But they were constantly moving around, and God would, you know, they would follow God the way God would move them as he showed up to them either in a cloud by day or fire by night. And so they would just watch this pillar, this cloud or this fire, and if, if it moved, usually, you know, God would say, hey, we're getting ready to go. The people would, they would pack everything up, pull up stakes, and they would, they would move. And so there would be these times as they wandered around in the desert that they would stay, you know, God would, the, the pillar would stop. And it was like, okay, this is where we're going to be for a while. And so they had this thing called the tabernacle. There were, two, there were two things in the Old Testament that we see. There's the temple, which is what they were going to build when they finally got to the promised land, which would be a permanent structure. That was the temple. But what they had when they were wandering around in the desert was something called a tabernacle. The tabernacle you could put up and take down. It was portable. In fact, the word tabernacle literally means portable church. And so they would move from place to place. They would set up the tabernacle. This is where God lived. This was represented the, the church. And, and so I want us today to look at what was going on inside the tabernacle. And it's probably going to may open your eyes a little bit. And there are some stations there. And I believe they represent beautiful steps for us to take as we pray. So what I'm suggesting is, is that maybe one morning, maybe several, maybe this becomes the new way for you to pray. But um, you, you sit down, you take this little note thing I've got for you, and you're like, okay, I'm going to pray through this. And there's like seven steps in the tabernacle, and you just pray through those seven steps. So I want to show you today the tabernacle prayer, um, creative, deep, uh, it's, it's a fairly deep way to pray. Here's where I want to start this morning. Exodus 25, verse 8. Have the people of Israel build me a holy sanctuary so I can live among them, which is exactly what God wants to do with you and me. He wants you to find a place where you can connect with him. And he wants to speak to you and you to him as if you were face to face. He wants relationship with you. He wants to get close to you. Verse 9 says this, you must build this tabernacle and its furnishings exactly according to the pattern I will show you. And, and what we're going to see today is that the pattern in which the tabernacle is built and laid out can serve as some steps for us. And here's what the tabernacle looked like. It was a, a tent with no top, rectangular in shape, and it had six pieces of furniture from the moment you walked into the courtyard and then you encounter, you started to encounter pieces of furniture. These pieces of furniture have been arranged the way they are on purpose. They each have a purpose and that's what we're gonna look at today. Um, as you got to the back, you see that little tent in the back, as you got to the back of that little tent, there is what we know as the Ark of the Covenant. If you've seen Raiders of the Lost Ark, that's what that was all about, right? And that is where God lived. That's where God was as he, as he dwelt among the Hebrew people. And so, you know, the priests who worked in the tabernacle had to take these steps, these, these seven steps, these six pieces of furniture, and there was a pattern as you made your way 
to where God was. In fact, Scripture says inside the tent of meeting, this is Exodus 33, inside the tent of meeting, the Lord would speak to Moses face to face. Now, I've put that in yellow for you because that's my prayer for you. My prayer for you is that, is that God would speak to you as if face to face, that you would, your prayer life would come alive so much that, that it just felt like, you know what, God and I just spend time together. He talks to me and I hear him and, and, and he hears me. And so if you could have some prayer times where, where God was there and hearing you and, and you were hearing him, I think you would pray more. And so inside the tent of meeting, the Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one who speaks to a friend. Jesus said this in Matthew 5, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. So let's consider together a priest who visits the tabernacle, and he's going to go do his duties inside there, which really is about representing the people. And the very first thing that would happen is they would literally step from the outside of the tabernacle through the the doorway or the gate of the tabernacle, and now they are in what was known as the outer court, the outer court. And there, they only had one focus in mind in the outer court, and that was to give thanks to God. That's where it all started. Before you give God your to-do list, before you start praying to, you know, for the people in your life that you need God to touch, before, you know, God, here's what I need, and I need you to fix this, and if you put some attention on that, before you do any of that, just being thankful, giving thanks to God for what he has done for you. Um, Before you think about how much more you want, you thank him for what you already have. And I believe with all of my being that gratitude is one of the healthiest emotions you can have. I believe that gratitude lies at the core of Christianity. Gratitude turns what you have into enough. Okay? One of the things we all need to realize is we have enough. We have enough, and God has given us enough. And when you're grateful, you look around and you recognize that. Lord, if you never did anything else for me, you've already done enough. Um, if you don't take the rain away, if you don't give me more money, if you don't take my sickness away, uh, God, I'm not going to come in here and treat you like some kind of celestial Santa Claus. That's not my goal. Um, I'm not going to ask you for more, God. I'm just here to say thank you for what you've done for me. I love what Psalm 100 says. Enter his gates. Another way to read that is enter your prayer time. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise, give thanks to him and praise his name. Don't ask him for more stuff right off the bat. Thank him for what he's already done for you. Now, tomorrow starts 40 days of prayer. I want you to download the app. Have I said that already? Download the app. <laughs> and when you do, you're going to get a notification. And, and um, it's going to, you know, we're going to, we're in, the, in the 40 days of prayer, we're going to pray for all kinds of things. We're going to pray for our cities. We're going to pray for our first responders. We're going to pray for our families, our spouses. We're going to pray for forgiveness. We're going to pray for all kinds of things. But one of the things that I want you to understand right off the bat, we're, there's just going to be some preliminary stuff, but right away, one of the first things that happens is we're going to pray prayers of thanksgiving. That's where it's going to start. God, thank you for what you've done. So after you've crossed into the outer court, you come across the first piece of furniture. You encounter this first piece of, piece of furniture inside the tabernacle and it was the brazen altar the brazen altar it was a large altar it always had dead animals on it 
Um, There was blood on this altar. Usually it was smoking and it was consuming whatever was on the the altar at the particular time. It was, you know, constantly different, you know, bulls or goats or rams, just some kind of animal had died. And before you could go to God, before you could get back to the back part of the tabernacle where God was, you had to encounter all of these different things. You had to walk past dead animals. God did that on purpose. Because one of the things God is trying to make sure that he reminded us of is that in order to get to God, you have to understand that when you sin, something has to die. Okay? Sin equals death. Sin means death. When I do the Jesus talk with people, I talk about the fact that Adam and Eve, they they eat from the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And we're told that when they eat that fruit, their eyes are opened. And they look down and they realize they're naked, which, you know, you start thinking about that for very long and it just kind of gets comical. And the next thing they do is they go make coverings for themselves with leaves. Just imagine. Now God shows up. God made them naked. Naked's not a problem if you don't know what evil is. But now all of a sudden we understand we're, we, we ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And now, oops, we're naked. So they cover themselves. Well, God says... What did you, what are you covering yourself for? And they said, well, we were naked. And God asks a great question. Who told you? Who told you you were naked? Because they weren't supposed to know. So that's how God knew that they'd eaten from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And so the next thing that happens is God does something very peculiar. He goes and makes animal skins for them to cover them in their nakedness. Now here's what you got to understand. In order for God to make animal skins, coverings for Adam and Eve, An animal has to die. So right away, one of the messages that God is sending is, when you sin, something has to die because sin destroys everything that it touches. That's the message. That's the message. God hates sin. God does not hate you. God loves you. But he hates your sin because your sin seeks to destroy you. When we sin, every bad thing in your world is the result of someone else's sin blowing up or your sin blowing up, and it blows back on you. Every bad thing going on in your world, you could probably trace to someone else's sin or your sin, and you'd say, you know what, that's what caused that. And so the brazen altar reminded everybody that sin is deadly. Now, when you get to the brazen altar, what is the New Testament equivalent of the brazen altar? That would be the cross. So when you encounter the brazen altar in the tabernacle, for us, New Testament believers, what we say is, oh, that reminds me of the cross. And so whenever, the only way, the only right that I have to be face to face with a holy God is because of what our Lord and Savior did on the cross. He died for us. And scripture says not only can you go to God, but you can approach God with boldness and confidence. Because of what Jesus did on the cross. So in other words, thank you, Lord, for the cross. Thank you for dying for me. Thank you for saving me. When I'm praying, a lot of times I'm thinking about the cross. I just try to picture Jesus. It's not a pleasant picture. Jesus stretched out on the cross, dying, gasping for breath for me, bleeding for me, crown of thorns, whipped for me. I'm just trying to to get a picture in my head. I want, I want there to be a connection between my sin and what my Savior went through. <coughs> Excuse me. I'm right on the verge of a tickle in my throat and it's kind of scaring me. There were four major wounds 
that Christ went through on the cross. He was whipped. He had a crown of thorns. He had nails in his hands and feet. And he had a spear in his heart. The four wounds of the cross. And a hundred years before, the, or hundreds of years before this happened, Isaiah wrote about those things. He prophesied about those things. And he said this in Isaiah 53. But he was pierced, that's his hands and feet, he was pierced for our transgressions. Now, transgression is when you go too far. Okay, that's what a transgression is. You went too far. You, you did something and you took it too far. You said too much or you did too much. You went to the wrong place. You, you took it too far. Your hands and your feet represent what you do and where you go. And so when Jesus is pierced in his hands and his feet, what he's doing is he's dying for the transgressions of where you've been and what you've done. So that's what that's about. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed. That's the spear in his heart. <coughs> he was crushed for our iniquities. Now, an iniquity is different than a transgression. Transgression is what you did. An iniquity is who you are. Iniquity is what happens when you get angry. Iniquity is what lives there all the time. You know, if you're angry, if you're bitter, if you're harboring lack of forgiveness, if there's, when you, when, iniquity is what happens when your buttons get pushed, right? Those bad things that come out of you that, that, that just kind of are a part of you and you're like, God, I wish that part of me didn't exist, but it does. It's the anger, it's the attitude, it's the, it's the evil side of us. And so Jesus took a piercing in his hands and feet for what we did, but now he's crushed on the inside for how we feel and who we are without Jesus. So our God took the pain in his heart so that our heart could be healed. The punishment that brought peace, that was the punishment of the crown of thorns. The punishment that brought peace was on him. So he took the pain in his head. We might even say he took the pain in his brain to give us peace. Well, why is that significant? Because that's where, all of the st that's where all of our lack of peace comes from. It's all in our head. The fear that we go through, the, the anxiety that we go through, the, the stress that we feel, it's all right up here in your brain. He took the pain in his head so that you would never have to have pain in your head. And you just stop for a minute and you pray and you say, Lord, thank you for what you did you know, I went there and I wasn't supposed to go there. I did that and I shouldn't have done that. And God, the lust and the pride and the, the greed in my heart, and you took all that to heal me and to make me better. And, 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 and then, God, the worry and the stress that I go through in my head, the fear that I feel, you died so that I wouldn't have to feel any of that. You, you, you died so that I wouldn't have to be afraid and I wouldn't have to be stressed out. Thank you, God, for the, the crown of thorns. And then it says... By his wounds, we are healed. In other words, by the stripes on his back, we are healed. And I don't just mean physical diseases, although I believe that God can heal physical diseases. And I've, I've, you know, I've prayed for people and seen them get better. I mean, I, I've prayed for things that I didn't, I've prayed for people that didn't think were going to get better, and they did. So I, I believe God has done things in the lives of people, but I'm not even talking so much about physical diseases as I am just spiritual and mental dis-ease, right? Like just where we're unsettled. God, you know, um, please heal my relationships, heal my marriage, heal my life, 
my emotions. So before you ever get in there and say, okay, Lord, here's my list for today. You're first going to, your outer courts, Thanksgiving, you come to the brazen altar, you think about Jesus on the cross, and you just say, you know, Lord, here, here's, I just want to acknowledge that you died for me. How about we thank God for what he's already done, we pause at the cross and remember that blood was shed for me. I think it's really important that we, we remember blood was shed for me. After you've passed the, the uh, brazen altar, you're going to come to a, a new piece of furniture. You're, you're, you know, you see the dead animals, you're reminded that sin is deadly. Now you come to this thing called a laver. It's a, it's a wash basin. And in the bottom of the wash basin is a mirror. So when you look down into the water, what's looking up is you. And so you're, you're going to start washing your hands. This is all about approaching God. These steps are about approaching God. And so you're washing your hands. You're preparing yourself. You're, 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 you're going to see yourself in the mirror as you wash, and that's the labor. The labor is about offering every part of my body to God. So, Lord, you know, the, the, what, what does it sound like as I pray through that? Lord, my brain has some stuff in here that shouldn't be in here. Um, please take that away, Father. P- take the stress away from, from me. I'm, I'm feeling this stress, and it's, it's a problem, and I know you don't want me to live like that. And, Father, I'm afraid of this. And, and I, you don't want me to live in fear, so I, I'm just offering this up to you. Help me overcome this fear. Father, my eyes, I offer my eyes to you. I want to see good and holy things. And my eyes are prone to see things that are not good and not holy. And so protect, Father, what goes into my eyes. My ears, Lord, I only want to hear things that are encouraging. Don't let me listen to gossip. Don't let me listen to things that tear me down or tear others down. Don't let me participate in that. Father, my mouth, I have the potential to hurt people with my mouth. Don't let, let me only say things, Father, that will lift other people up and be an encouragement to them. I'm telling you. If you start praying this way, you're going to see a difference in the way you live your life and how much better your life gets. God, help me say things that build up and don't tear down. Just work through it and give God your body as you are there at the laver. You say, Brett, where is this in the Bible? In in the New Testament, I would point you to Romans chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. God doesn't want dead animal sacrifices anymore. He wants you. Holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. God, here I am, take all of me. Just take all of me. Take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to thee. Take my moments and my days. Let them flow in ceaseless praise. Let them flow in ceaseless praise. And now we come to the small tent. And we're going to step into that small tent. And when we do, on one side is one piece of furniture, and on the other side is another piece of furniture. The first thing we're going to talk about is the candlestick. You're going to come to the candlestick. And the candlestick, is, it has fire on it. So when you think of fire in the Bible, that's representative of power. That's representative of anointing. It represents the presence of God. So... New Testament-wise, now we're talking about the Holy Spirit. The, the, the candlestick represents the Holy Spirit. So you, now you're starting to pray prayers like this as you come to the candlestick. God, let your Holy Spirit work in me. Let it lead me. Stir me to good works. Give me the wisdom that I need, Father, to, 
to make the decisions that, that will give you glory and honor. Give me the wisdom to make decisions for my family, God, that, 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 that I need to be able to make. I need your input into my life. I need the Holy Spirit. And we recognize that. And so as you're praying through these different things, you come to the candlestick, you start thinking about the Holy Spirit, and, and we want the work of God to happen on the inside of us. Verse for this is 2 Timothy 1. This is why I remind you to fan into flames the spiritual gift God gave you when I laid my hands on you. People think that the only person who ever gets called is a preacher. Right? Um, the joke I used to tell when people would say, what brings you to Terre Haute? I would say, God called me. What's your excuse? Um, I've since come to really love Terre Haute. I love being here and, and have had chances to leave and decided I didn't want to do that. This is home for me. I like it here. But, but I've been called here. God called me. But, and people look at a pastor and they go, well, of course a pastor gets called. But you get called. You, you have a calling. You have a calling. And you have a calling. And you have a calling. God calls us. God has given us spiritual gifts. And he expects us to use those spiritual gifts. In fact, one of the things I'm doing on a Sunday morning is I'm... I'm, I'm trying to fan the flames of your spiritual gift, trying to get you to understand, get you stirred up and get you going, hey, this is, this is what God has given me. I'm going to use this in God's service and in God's glory. We have a calling. For God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, love, and self-discipline. So that's the candlestick. Now you come to, on the other side of the, the tent, you're going to come to this thing called, there's a table. And it's got bread on it. It's got 12 loaves of freshly baked bread. And just imagine the aroma, the, the, the warm, you know, O'Charlie's. Just, just when I go to O'Charlie's, it's like the bread. Just bring me like five baskets of that bread. Just imagine smelling that bread. It's warm. It smells delicious. We call this the table of showbread. And it represents God's word. It represents God's word. This is where I find the promises of, bread, of the bread of life. And then you, you know, when you come to that station in your quiet time and you're working through the various tabernacle pieces and you come to the table of showbread, that's when you grab your Bible and you just say, God, teach me, show me. I'm going to read the Bible here. Just speak to me. You know, there's so much that I don't understand. Just, just take this and, 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 and show me, God, what it is you want me to know. Eat the bread of God's word. Matthew 4 says it like this. Jesus, when he was tempted, he said, It is written, Man shall not live on the bread alone, on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Listen, you eat solid food every day. Eat spiritual food every day. Even if it's just one verse. Even if you just, you know, even if you're you're, you're going to take five minutes and just, you know, get the app on your phone. There's a place where you can pull up the Bible. And if you're waiting on your kids to come out of practice or you're at Chick-fil-A in a long line or, you know, wherever you are, bring that up. Just read a, a verse or two and say, God, just speak to me through, through what it is that I'm reading right now. That's why we put the Bible, um, we, we put that in, I mean, actually, we didn't do it. The way we, the, our app is set up, it's, it's inherently built in there. But we wanted, that's one of the reasons we wanted you to have the app is because it, it puts the phone, on, it puts the uh, Bible on your phone. So feed on God's word. Come on, you can do this a couple of verses a day. A couple of verses a day. Feed on God's word. And then you move to the last piece of furniture before you're going to come to the place where God is. You come to this little 
square altar. It's about four feet tall, and it had coals on it that were burning. Those coals came from the brazen altar, and they had put those on this thing that was known as the altar of incense, and there was, there was incense on the top of it as it burned. The, the best analogy I can give you is I came home this week from work, and Dee Dee beat me home, and she had already lit scented candles in the house. We, I love candles. I love aromas. And so our house, generally, when you walk in, you, it smells good. And so I walked in, I was like, man, it feels warm in here. Man, those candles smell good. Well, that's kind of what the altar of incense is. It's kind of like scented candles for God. Do you, know what the, do you know what the scented candle for God is? Do you know what it is that he likes to smell? Our worship. Your worship is a scented candle to God. It is incense. Worship his name. Um, worship is different than praise. When you praise God, you're giving thanks for what he's done, right? When, when you're praising God, it's like, God, thank you for my family. Thank you for my health. Thank you for my job. Thank you for my church. But when you worship him, that's different than praise. We do both at Cross Lane. We do praise and worship. Praise and worship. Praise is thank you for what you've done. Worship is thank you for who you are. Thank you, God, for who you are. It's not even about us. Praise is, God, um, I thank you for my job. I thank you for my life. But worship isn't any of that. Worship is, if I didn't have any of that, God, I would stand here and worship you just for who you are because you're magnificent and you are awesome. Psalm 95, verse 6. Come, let us bow down and worship. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker, for he is our God and we are the people of his pasture, the flock under his care. Do you ever kneel down and pray? Have you ever gotten down on the floor, face down, and just prayed to God? God, you don't have to do anything for me today. I'm just, I'm just, I'm here to honor who you are. I'm here to tell you that you're awesome. I'm here to tell you that I recognize your worth in the world. And God, I just, I just want you to know that I, I know that. Proverbs 18, the name of the Lord is a fortified tower. The righteous run to it and are safe. Lord, you're holy, you are worthy, you are righteous, you are counselor, you're shepherd, you're defender. Thank you for fighting for me. Thank you for being the bright morning star. Thank you for being the protector and the provider. Thank you for being the one in my, for, for being my shepherd and my Lord. It's just thanking God, worshiping his name. So you got, I enter with thanksgiving. It's only by the cross that I'm able to take another step Clean me up, God, every part of me. Wash me. Holy Spirit, do a work inside me. Make me wise. Give me the wisdom I need. The word of God, I'm going to feed on that. And then I worship. And then in the very back of that little tent, that's where the Ark of the Covenant was. The Ark of the Covenant. Two angels covering their eyes. This is called the mercy seat. The, the wings coming overhead, the, the, the eyes are covered. Um, the, the cloud or the fire would dwell in this particular spot. This is where you were supposed to go. You would come face to face with God. And the Bible is pretty clear. I, I, you know, after I've already taken care of me, after I've thanked him, after he's working inside of me and I'm clean and I've offered every part, now I'm there with God. Now what do I do? Once we get there, our job is to intercede for others. That's what we're going to do. What, is, what does intercede mean? It means to pray for others, to lift others up, to think about them, to, to, to carry their name to God. 
Go in there and, and, and make your case to God on behalf of someone else. I do this for Cross Lane just about every day of my life. I stand before God and I offer up prayers for you. I say your name. I lift you up. I say your name out loud. God, I'm praying for so-and-so. I'm praying for their kids. God, I know, they're go- I know that she is going through a really hard thing. She's been really sick. Father, I don't know all of what needs to happen. I know that you do, and I'm just lifting her up. And Father, I know this couple is going through a hard time, and I can't fix it. My heart breaks for them, Lord. I wish I could step into all that mess, and I wish I could make it better, but I can't. And so all I can do, Lord, is lift them up to you, and so I'm asking you to just, just cover them and, and, and give them attention and, and give them what they need. And Father, this little boy right here, I know they're picking on him. I know they are. And Father, I've been that little boy. I know what that's like. I'm just praying that you give him courage to step into school tomorrow. Help him to represent you. Help him to not lose faith. He's, he's fragile, Lord. Take care of him. And so I just start praying for people and lifting you up, calling you out by name, the specific things. When you come up and say, hey, Brett, will you pray for me? A lot of times I'll just stop and pray for you right there. But even after that, as I'm walking away, I'm like, God, you, you know what they need. What they need is beyond my ability to help them. I can't fix that, God. I just want you, I know you know, I just want you to know that I know that you know. And so we, we, it's about interceding on behalf of other people. First Timothy says it like this, I urge then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. Now I want that, don't you? So I pray for our political leaders. I pray for our senators and our governors and our president. And You know what? I hear a lot of people criticizing those people. I don't hear anybody, I don't hear us praying for them like we should. I pray for, you know, lift them up, God. I, I, they need your wisdom. They need your counsel. Make sure they understand who they represent. Help them to make good decisions. Pray for my wife, my elders, my parents, my kids. Just praying for other people. So if you will take this little sheet that I've just given you and you'll sit down with your Bible and you'll just work through the sheet, just come to each little station and do kind of what it says there, just do that for a while and let's see if that doesn't help your prayer life. This is a great pattern for you, but pray first. We need to get into this mentality of pray first. Prayer should be our first response, not our last resort. And too often, prayer is our last resort. We're people of the word. We're people of God. We need to be people who pray. All right? Let's, uh, let's bow. Let me pray over you, and I hope this has been helpful. 40 days of prayer starts tomorrow. Download the app. If I said that, download the app, and let's pray together for the next 40 days. Father, we give all this to you. Everything we're trying to do, we're trying to do in an effort to grow closer to you, to know you better to worship you, to lift up your name and make you holy. And so, Father, we're thankful. We're thankful. We we recognize that Jesus died for us. It's the only way we can even come to you. Father, we offer ourselves to you this morning. We recognize that your spirit dwells within us and lives within us and is speaking to us. We feast on your word. Father, we worship you for who you are. 
And now, Father, we lift up the people that are special to us. Father, I specifically this morning lift up lost people to you and ask you to draw them to you, even miraculously. Help them to see their need for you. So, Father, as we pray over the next 40 days and hopefully beyond that, I'm praying for a fire to make its way through our congregation, that we would be changed and we would be different. I pray it in Jesus' name.